Hello, and welcome to Standing in the Stream, a podcast for and about creative people. I'm your host, John Lane. Craig Colarusso is an artist whose installations explore the intersection of sound, light, and space. Using wood, fabric, metal, and electronics, his work is elegantly simple and organic, and at the same time deeply spiritual and personal. The short film about his work, directed by Kevin Belly, entitled Install, contains footage and interviews with Craig as it captures three of his major installation works. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, really excited to talk to you. I, we were just talking before uh, we, we got the show here going. Uh, I had seen this film install at some point in the not too distant future. And was, uh, as I was going through potential guests, uh, you sent it to me, reminded me about it. And so I watched it again and it's really terrific, uh, capturing sort of a snapshot of, of where you are now and sort of reflecting back on where you came from. And that's kind of how I like to start the show is by getting a little bit of a background. And, and in the film, you talked a little bit about your transition from, being like a punk rock musician to what you are doing now, which is installation art. And uh, so this seems like a really good place to start our conversation. So do you want to talk a bit about how you made that transition from music to to uh, embracing a wider artistic practice? Sure. Um, I feel like it kind of happened accidentally. Uh, you know, I was in a couple bands and we were touring a lot and I was having a great time and you know, I just sort of felt like this is really cool, but I can see a lot of possibilities and I would like to pursue those. And it's kind of tough to do that in rock and roll. So I just stopped doing it. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in Brookfield, Connecticut, which is about an hour and a half from New York City. Um, pretty pretty mellow place. I swam in a lake. I played football. Um, I raked a lot of leaves. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the thing about that film that I thought was so cool is that uh, Kevin Belli and I are really good friends. We've been friends for 20 years and it seemed like we were having that conversation from the start. Uh, he just started filming it at some point and then made a, a really great film out of it. Um, you know, for me, uh, it's awesome to look at that because I think he made a beautiful film and he made, he used my pieces as, you know, as like parts to make a film, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And it's logical how, how one, how you, because it sort of details these three um, of your works and, and, and in the order that they uh, sort of came and uh, so it was kind of it unfolds sort of organically in that way of telling the story about how you've progressed from one piece to the next. Uh, that was a really great way of capturing that uh, in terms of your artistic development over these three pieces. Yeah, it was great to hang out with him and travel all through New England. And what I love about the film is that it's it, there's it's funny because there's a lot of. Um, it's just a lot of work, you know, it's me carrying boxes, it's unloading the van, it's driving in the middle of the night. Um, but I still love all that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought, you know, being an artist, being a professional artist, I would, 
you know, I would have a place where I would sit and I would sip tea and I would think ingenious thoughts. Um, but most of the time I'm on the phone or I'm at a show. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I saw another film, uh, Marina Abramovich. I think I'm saying that name, right? Uh, there was a film, uh, a documentary made on her work. She's this, um, do you know her work? She's this like really famous I installation do. artist, right? And and there, there's this film. It came out in the last couple of years, and she there's one scene where she she's talking to the filmmakers, and uh, she says something about you know who knew um, being an artist you'd have to write so many emails, <laughs> you know that she spends most of her time writing emails, and it just it's exactly what you said, you know that uh-huh. maybe we can talk about that a little bit because that's part of the practice of being an artist these days is. Uh, you know, being in touch with people and doing emails and making phone calls and sort of the business end of things. So how do you navigate the waters of, of all of that? And, you know, for me, um, I'm always trying to find that perfect life. Um, I hung out with a lot of people that, um, you know, are academics and that just doesn't really work for me. Um, partially because I don't think I'm that smart. And the other part is I can't sit still. And so when I lived in New York, I did a lot of, um, you know, I worked for a construction company. So I was, I was, you know, moving pieces of wood. I was building things. And I liked that, but I also didn't want to do that my entire life. I really, for me, the perfect life is combining the two, is having, doing something with my body and being able to think about things in an abstract way. And so I, I think I'm fine-tuning that now, but it, it all works, man. What what do you mean by you don't think you're that smart? I mean, I, when I look at your work, I think, wow, how does this guy think? How does he do this? How, you know, it's totally mysterious to me. There's all these uh, sort of electronic things that are at work. I mean, it's very, very um, smart, <laughs> smart work here. So I, don't sell yourself short, man. This is uh, this is really interesting work that you uh, that you've put together here maybe let's see if I'm hearing you correctly, maybe it's something that maybe you don't identify with the, maybe like the intellectual side of art making, or is that, is that kind of what it is? Is there a resistance to that sort of talking about your work in that way or? No, I just, you know, I didn't go to art school. Um, I just, I was, I just want to make stuff. I think, um, I think mostly I'm, uh, I have a lot of energy and I, I don't want to waste it. Um, I, I feel like I know a lot of people that just talk circles around things and, you know, that's cool, but, um, I've already wasted enough time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You just want to get to the work. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I like the work and I, you know, believe me, I could talk about sunboxes for hours. Um, but I also think it's something that I wanted to make something beautiful and I feel like I accomplished that. Definitely. Uh, I would, I hope I can see these things in, in, person someday since you mentioned it maybe we can just talk about sunboxes for a second there um I'll, I'll let you sort of describe these things but um my experience of them of course is just through the film but there, there's this really great moment in the film where at the right at the beginning where you're setting these things up and so you're sort of setting them up in the in the dark before the sunrise on this sort of rocky outcropping and at a certain point, then the the sun starts to peak over the horizon, 
and they're essentially these boxes, speakers with little solar panels on the top, and just as the sun crests there over the horizon and, and the light hits the boxes, then these lovely synthesized tones start to fading in and out of the, the boxes are sort of like singing. It's totally magical. Uh, so maybe you could describe them a bit and, and how you came to make them. Sure. I mean, that was a great description. It's it's basically 20 boxes that all have a pre-recorded guitar note on them, and they're programmed to play continuously as long as there's enough sound. Um, the catch is that all of those tracks are a different length, so as they repeat, they line up up differently and according to my math it would take 3.12 months before the whole piece would cycle around and that of course is impossible on this planet so um this wasn't an intention but uh i do like the idea of making something that's impossible So when you say that it would take that long for the cycle to go around, how, how are you actually making the tones inside these boxes? Like what, I mean, if you want to reveal the mystery, that is like, how does it work? Oh yeah. It's just a, it's a computer board that has a, an amplifier, a sampler and some software on it. And I just recorded everything uh, with a, with a Les Paul and a volume pedal and just loaded it in and just let them go. Oh wow. Okay. So it's, it's really that simple. I'm I'm a simple guy. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you you talk about you know I talked at the beginning about sort of um, that your work explores sound, uh, light, and space, and this particular one does all three of those things because you the way the way that you position these things in <sighs> the landscape and a, a lot of the ones that were kept uh, performances or installations that were captured on this film were outdoor so there was one where uh it was in a really grassy plain and there was another one on the beginning where there was like a rocky outcropping and then there's one by uh on a beach or by the ocean uh is there any one sort of location that you feel like really works like the space of it works best with these sunboxes or is it a, a new experience every time or can you talk about that aspect of the work Sure. I mean, it's changed a lot. Um, you know, that, that piece happened in 2008. <clears throat> My really good friend, Sexy David Sanchez, called me up and said, yo, make something solar. We're going to the desert and just hung up the phone. <laughs> and, in, you know, later in 2009, we had a residency in Rylight, Nevada. 
where we made art using sustainable energy and sunboxes was my contribution. So the whole thing was designed to be placed in the desert. And <clears throat> I remember driving out there, I was living in Massachusetts at the time, and I drove out there and to be honest, it was way cooler than it was in my head. It was really amazing how it all fell into place. And so on the way back, I was like, well, there's that. I mean, what am I going to do now? You know, set these things up in a Home Depot parking lot in Massachusetts. And, you know, it's a couple days drive back. So I started to think about it. And then I was like, well, wait, hold on a sec. You know, Massachusetts is beautiful. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to New England, but it's like paradise out there, man. You know, there's there's ocean, there's beaches, there's forests, there's snow, there's all kinds of stuff. And then it just started to occur to me that part of Sunboxes is the environment that it's in. And <clears throat> the desert's cool, but man, there's a whole world out there. So, you know, with just a little bit of energy, this thing could go in a million different directions. Yeah. So what? where all have they been? Sunboxes has been in 49 cities and 18 different states. Wow. So are you actively um, sort of uh, seeking different locations for this? Or are people contacting you? Like, how are you getting your work uh, into the out there and into all of these places? Oh, I, I email everybody. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I try and get out there. Um, people definitely do contact me all the time. But um, <clears throat> my informal goal is to get sunboxes in all 50 states. Hmm. Um you know, in all my years traveling in a band, um, the one thing that occurred to me over and over again was just how beautiful the United States is. And I really do think that this is a great place. And I want to be, you know, as part of it as much as I can. Um, and so I do think that some of my uh, travel bug that I got by being in touring bands has leaked into being an installation artist. I'm not afraid of the road. I have a minivan and I'm a really good packer. So I'll go anywhere. Do you so? Do you uh, personally uh, install and take your boxes everywhere? That I mean, every time it's done, or do you have like assistance, or how does it work? No, it's just me. I'm a one man operation. <clears throat> wow. So you just take your minivan and throw the boxes in and drive out to wherever it is. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> it sounds like the life of a percussionist, which is what I do. <laughs> we also have minivans and, you know, SUVs, and we just throw our stuff in. And uh, half the time, it's really hard to, to fly, actually, because, um, uh, you know, if TSA has all these kind of things, it's hard for musicians to carry their instruments on the flights. And especially if you're a percussionist and you got all this gear and then... You know, and if you can't carry it, then you have to kind of depend on wherever the venue or if you're playing at a university or something, you know, what equipment that they have. And you're always at the mercy of that, you know. Um, yeah. So it's nice to be able to be in control of your own gear and, you know, load it all up and, and take it yourself. So I, I think I see a little bit of a parallel. And you probably felt a bit of a parallel there, as you mentioned, with like being a uh, punk rock musician and loading up the guitars and the amps and the drums and driving to the gigs and, and all of that. Well, yeah. And I also think, you know, just to sort of touch base on music, you know, I, I grew up listening to like Led Zeppelin, you know, and Jimi Hendrix. And so all that stuff, <clears throat> by the time I heard it had already happened. And so I think one of the things that was amazing to me about punk rock music and hardcore is that, uh, that was music that was happening simultaneously as I was. So I, I felt like I was partaking in history. And um, I think I've kind of carried that over with like what I'm doing now. I mean, 
I want to be there. I'm still, I'm still new at this. I'm not uh, jaded or anything. I want to, I want to get these things out there and I want to meet people and I just want to do it, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really interested to talk about this transitional point. One of the things you said in the, the film was that, you know, you, you, I'll quote you here. You said in the same way you learn how to put sounds together, you learn to put things together. Um, so can you maybe elaborate on that a bit and sort of what I was, uh, was saying there about the, the parallels and how you made that transition? Sure. Maybe to step back a little bit. Uh, I first, um, got into improvisation because I remember playing specifically playing this one part and I was like, I like this. I don't feel like I should stop. (laughs) Why should I stop this part and play another part? And, you know, just that moment of breaking free of this song structure was like a little, um, just like a little energy boost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I kind of feel like I wanted to do things that involved things other than sound. And so I just wanted to do it. I, I, I'm surprised it took as long as it did because I really like art. Um, and it just took me a while before I thought, hey, these things really do work together. What, what do you think gave you the, uh, for me, like if I were, because uh, I'm interested in, uh, you know, part of the, well, let me back up a bit and say, part of the whole genesis of doing this podcast was that I was getting pretty burned with what I was doing, um, musically, artistically, just I was really not so interested in what many of the musicians that I came into contact were interested in. I was not interested in the same things, you know. And uh, I started this practice of um, instrument building and design and started seeing this whole world of of this kind of thing and started coming in contact with uh, artists who were maybe more in the visual art world, but had collaborations with, uh, you know, scientists or, and I had plenty of collaborations with poets and visual artists and writers and, and other, you know, other uh, art forms. And I got, I w- I've always been more interested in the resonance there and the sort of brushing up from one sensibility to another, uh, you know, that, that what I can do as a percussionist and how does that sort of, uh, rub up against what a poet does, you know, and could we maybe make something together that makes, you know, how does that work, you know, and um, that was what I was interested in rather than, oh, I've got this, you know, composer who's writing me this really complicated new piece or I've got this group that we're playing and we're playing these concerts here and here. I was just not so interested in that. I was more interested in, you know, the creative thing is what is this person making? What, what is this about? What is, what are they trying to say? And what do I want to say, you know, and how can I do that within these constructs that I find myself? So I started these conversations and started having conversations with artists about their work and how do they, you know, how do they make, you know, how do they do it? And particularly, I was looking at people who maybe came at it from more than one angle. So not just a a painter, you know, but uh, someone who, like you, who came from, you know, first who came from this sort of musical background, but then now you're doing something completely, um, it's related, but completely different from that, yet you're still continuing to draw on, you know, rub up against that practice, and it informs your current practice in a certain way, but now you identify as installation artist 
rather than just a, a musician, something like that. Anyway, I'm kind of meandering here. <laughs> I'm not sure where, <laughs> where I'm going with all this, but do you have any uh, reaction to that? I think I always resented the um, the pinnacle of what music could be. Um, I just I, does the world need yet another poorly played Beatles cover? You know, it was just like I just this this isn't work for me. But at the same time, the world just made a made more sense when I had a guitar in my hand. So I was not willing to let go of the guitar, but definitely willing to let go of music. If that makes sense. Yeah. Have you found this podcast to help you? What I found with the podcast is that it's been totally inspiring. It, it really has inspired me to, you know, um, to to go on the search and figure it out what it is that I'm going to do and what I'm going to say. And it's also allowed me to um, spark and create some uh, new collaborations, you know, um, and so I've I found some real interesting people that maybe we'll make something one of these days. Maybe we'll work on something together. And uh, one of the best things, uh, lessons that I've learned from the podcast was, uh, I believe it was uh, John Roach, who's an artist in New York City, um, who I had on, who does all kinds of really crazy stuff. Um, visual, so, sort of sculptural things, uh, sound art. He makes instruments. He does all kinds of really interesting work. But he said, you know, he said, this is a really great and worthy endeavor. And he said, I bet even if you end up making a full circle and you come back to the beginning where you're just a percussionist doing that thing, um, the beginning is no longer the same. It, it's changed. Your perspective has changed. And and that, to me, uh, has been true. Um, I think my perspective now, after having done this many conversations and and found all of these uh, interesting people it's not the same even though what i do is basically the same as what i was doing a year ago my perspective is is not it's very different and uh, right. and the possibilities seem bigger now you know um the possibilities <clears throat> seem more uh open i think that's great man i one of the other things that always bugged me was uh this idea um that people had to stay the same um like, oh, yo, this dude, yeah, he's been, he's had that scraggly beard since he was 12. You know, he's got integrity. And I just sort of feel like, I don't know whether I want integrity. I think I want to have uh, a way to evolve because um, so far at age 46, I've already changed a lot. And so I, I don't want to get wrapped up in, you know, something that I designed when I was a teenager. And there's no growth in that either. I mean, I know plenty of composers, you know, that uh, kind of they've developed a voice and a style and they, they kind of just each new piece sort of is that thing, you know, again, a different, slightly different thing, a slightly different way, but it's it's that, you know. And in some way that's good uh, to cultivate a, a voice, but, but in other ways I would like to think that some of the more interesting composers, John Cage, for instance, no two pieces are... Are really the same, you know, uh, and, and or there's a, a an arc of development that you could track through the course of their body of work that you can see how one thing sort of, um, you know, there were branching streams, you know, uh, in the in the work. I think hmm. that's important for for artists to continue to to cultivate new ideas and and move in different directions and and feel not be afraid to do to do that, you know, to go out on a limb and do something that's not what they've always done. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a few advantages. I'm not famous. I don't have like a record company that says I need another one of these or else you're done. Right. Um, so I sort of have this freedom to kind of do whatever I want. And I love that. I mean, I, I, I used to work as a stagehand and I worked for a company that did over 800 shows a year through three different venues and some touring. And I was at almost all of those shows. So I've seen a lot of music and it's pretty grim that, you know, you have you can do anything you want. And it seems like this is what people do. It's sort of disappo- very disappointing. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's what people choose to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, I- my music world is a little bit different because it's, you know, um, more, I'm, I'm more in the kind of the new music world, uh, concert music that's new music that's even a niche of a niche, you know? Um, right. And so I've always kind of felt more akin to like a punk rock musician where you're, as we talked about earlier, like loading your gear up in your van and you're driving to the wherever warehouse that's going to, you're going to have your new music concert and, you know, 15 people are there or something. And it's that kind of world, you know? I mean, that's kind of what it is. So I've always felt more sort of affinity for like, you know, punk rock musicians that are, schlepping their own gear to the gigs, playing the gig and driving to the next one, you know. It's a great lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah, definitely for a while. Um I I think it's definitely a young person's game. Yeah. Um yeah. I've slept on enough floors so far. Yeah. Um You sent me a, a new piece that you've been working on. Maybe you want to talk about that. It's called Moon Phases that you're still I guess still working on. In the email where you sent it to me, you said it plays music based on the fullness of the moon. So what is this, and how does it work, and what's what's going on here? Uh, well, basically, it's a, um, <clears throat> it's a piece that starts in silence and then culminates around the full moon with 30-note chord and then disappears just like the moon does. I have another piece called Cube Music that is um, six four-foot-by-four-foot metal cubes that have sound and light coming out of them. And after I made that piece i figured out that it took 28 days for that music to cycle around and i thought that was so amazing um but you know the the reality is that it was just sort of an accident um those were just the the notes that i chose and that's just how it fell into place um so i i've always been in the back of my mind i've always been thinking about i wanted to make a piece of music that long but have it you know mean something more than just be an extended thing. Um, And so I think that's where Moon Phases came from. I love to look at the moon. I try and look at it every night. And I think it's, it's a beautiful constant. You know, no matter what happens in your life, the moon is doing its thing. And that's refreshing. So it, it basically exists in like this online environment. Does it uh, does it exist in any other way, or is it just the link that you that you sent me? Um, currently, it's just the link. Uh, but originally, um, I have I've shown it four times now. <clears throat> I have a uh, it's this one big hanging piece that has seven different squares, and the idea is that these motors would turn the squares a quarter of a turn uh, every twenty four hours. And so the whole thing would reset itself every new moon. Um, but to be honest, I couldn't get the motors to work right. So 
after a year of trying that, I've scrapped that. And now I'm building what I call the moon pod. It's going to be a 12 by 12 structure that will you can sit in the structure and listen to the piece. And the whole thing will create these shadows from both the sun and the moon. So the idea is that you kind of come and go as the moon does its thing and, and see how it reacts to the piece hmm. as well as listen to it. But for now, is uh, is this like available for people to hear online, or is this app, or this link that you sent me, just a, sort of a private thing, or how how can people see it? Well, it, you can listen to the link, but I'm also about to um, release uh, a big package on Bandcamp that will allow you to uh, download an hour worth of each day. So basically, there'll be 30 tracks from zero to full. And the thing I like about that is that. Um, I love records, man. I'm always going to put out records, but I don't think I would put out a 30 record set. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I think, you know, offering 30 tracks on Bandcamp is really perfect. And it's just a great way to kind of utilize the potential of technology. Yeah, I think that what I like about it is that it's a composition that you you don't have to come every day. But if you do, there's a payoff. Um I like the idea of not having something that begins and ends. I like the idea of just stepping into something and feeling like you're part of it. And then you can leave whenever you want. Um, I think that's definitely the link between all my pieces. Um, yeah, that I, I can see that. I can see that being in the space of them is, is what it's about. Yeah. And you know, I, I remember listening to the radio when I was a kid, um, I was in the car and I remember, man, I love this song. If I knew how to play this song, I would just play it for the rest of my life. Cause it's that good. And I think I've always had this, you know, another resentment of like things ending, you know, the, this, you know, a great song ends, a great show ends, you know, people that you love, they die, that ends. Um, and I think this is just one of those things that this is a way to present something that doesn't end. It just goes, it just evolves. And I like that. I think that's where I would like to keep pursuing. Yeah, so you envision this piece will continue on indefinitely. Yes. I mean, I, I think with all my stuff, um, there, I don't know, I was about to say conveniently, I have worked myself out of them. I don't know if this is necessarily an intention, <laughs> but, you know, these things don't need me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I need them, definitely, but um, they don't need me. So I, I feel like for the first time I'm creating something that will have a life of its own that really has nothing to do with me. I just, look, man, I, I love music. I love being on stage. I have a big ego. I like that, but I also wanted to make something else. And, and that's kind of like where I'm at now. I, I think as you get older, you just, you, there's no way to, there's no way to veer away from your own mortality. And I don't mean to sound morbid because I don't think this is a morbid thought at all. I think this is just knowing my place in the universe and trying to make the best of it. I want to get back to, uh, you were talking about, you know, we've talked at length about sort of making the transition from musician to installation artist and, and sort of getting the bravery to launch into that new world. So I'm curious, at, at what point did you feel, uh, for me, I would use the word brave, like at what point did you feel brave enough to start, you know, sending emails out about about your installation works and how did you get your first 
installation gigs? Like, how did that happen for you? How does that come about? Well, I guess I'll preface this by saying um, I have more balls than talent, and I've always been aware of that. Um, it used to bum me out when I was younger, but now I feel like it's 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 the way of the world. <laughs> I think the the easiest way to describe that is I just found the right fit. I found that there were lots of people out there that wanted to experience something like what I was creating. But, um, you know, I had to think differently. Like, this doesn't work in bars. So that whole thing doesn't work. Easy. Just don't call any bars. But that took me a long time to figure that out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Because those were the contacts I had. So, yeah, I guess I just... I think we live in a great time now because I can easily send someone an email and they can see and hear it um, pretty clearly what it is. And it either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. We just move on. So that was it. You're just basically sending emails with here's my work and then following through from there. Yeah. It's all a numbers game. I mean, you got to send out a million emails. You got to call people back. I'm pretty uh, persistent maybe even stubborn. <laughs> but I I guess as far as the bravery is concerned, um, I like what I do. You know, you don't have to like it, but that's, that's, that's the way it goes. I mean, I like all my pieces for different reasons. Like MB-89 is the performance one where I play bass clarinet inside these cylinders with sound and light. There's a ritual aspect to that that I really like because I can't just play it. I mean, I got to prepare for that. Yeah. Um, so I usually practice for a couple of weeks before a gig or before a tour. And there's I, I, I do crave a ritual in my life. I don't have many. And so I like that aspect of it. Um, I like the freeness of sunboxes. I just show up with my van. If you got sunlight, this will work. You know, yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh, adaptable. I, I guess I like all my pieces, um, which this kind of brings me to an interesting thing. A friend of mine told me that I don't take enough chances. He said that everything I do is too successful. I should work more on like a Pfizer pharmaceutical sort of platform where they have a 1% success rate, where they just try so much stuff. And, you know, one of those things is going to shoot through and, and be what they want it to be. And I was like, I, I just don't know. I mean, I... Uh, I don't like presenting things that I don't think are perfect. So how how did your friend think this works with with art artwork? How does that uh, how does that relate um, for them? Uh, specifically, in the conversation we had about my work, was that he didn't think I did enough. And enough works or enough? Yeah, enough works. Okay. And I I don't necessarily disagree with that, but um, these things take time. I mean, I. I've been thinking about moon phases for like four years um, and it's just now starting to come about. Um, Sure. I wish it moved faster, but at the same time it moves at the speed it moves. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I feel like uh, I know a lot of people that really try and um, it seems like they force themselves on their work and I'm just trying to let the work tell me what it needs. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm a little patient I guess my friend would say I'm too patient, but in the end, I like what I do. Well, I, I think that there, just to kind of analyze the situation a little bit, I, I think there are 
I think there's room for both, you know, I think uh, both ways of working, in other words, because I think if you look at in if you look at all different arts, right, if you look at uh, music, you know, Beethoven only wrote nine symphonies, but they're really great. <laughs> you know, they're amazing. <laughs> OK, uh, whereas somebody like Woody Allen makes a movie every year since what? The late 60s, early 70s or something. Now, we could we could say, OK, Woody Allen's top one percent, Annie Hall one of the greatest romantic comedies ever, you know, um, or whatever, you know, so, but every one of them is not great, you know, they're, and they're, in my world, plenty of composers who are very prolific, who've written hundreds and hundreds of pieces, and, um, you know, a lot of them are not very good, but, but maybe if you wrote a hundred pieces, ten of them are going to be really good, you know, so, on the other hand, you know, you have someone like, uh, like I mentioned, Beethoven or something, writing only nine symphonies. Um, now he sketched and sketched and sketched and worked and worked and worked. So he might have, you know, had he just put his sketches out there, you know, maybe it would have had more or some. You know, I'm just drawing at straws here, but that the idea that there is only one way of working, I, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that there's room for, for people who are very prolific who need uh, to put out a lot of work and, and get it out into the world and get it out of them. Um, and maybe there's a lower percentage of success rate or maybe they connect with smaller numbers of people with some of the lesser pieces or whatever. And then you have pieces, uh, artists who ruminate and, uh, you know, uh, futz and, and detail and, and are not prolific in terms of number but what they create is is really staggering and, and interesting and contributive to the you know to the world so uh i think maybe there's room for both what do, what do you think well um i think from a fan perspective you know sometimes people put out too much there's only so much that i can really buy of your music and so i want it all to be good i don't know um <clears throat> I mean, I, I, in some ways, I guess I see his point because I really want to, I want to do, I want to do a good job no matter what I do. And I want to do it. I want to do it a lot. Um, but at the same time, I, I guess I'm always looking for, I guess I want to make stuff that's worth making. I feel like I meet a lot of people that, um, you know, they're really smart, they're really motivated, and there's no doubt in my mind that they will be successful at whatever they do. But my one question to them is, you know, will what you do, will it matter? I mean, that's a whole other level of success that I don't think it's addressed. And, you know, I think with the way we have information, I mean, everything is available now. So it's you don't just have to know stuff. I think you have to be able to put things together and do something with it. And I, I see that in art as well. There is a certain, uh, at least to me, I've I've noticed this, and it's in popular music as well as it's in every field. Um, there, I find that it's kind of rare that all of these things align, where where they're a, a really excellent artist, and they're really good at the the business side of things, you know, uh, and and everything is sort of in between. That all of that comes together. It seems to me that it's pretty rare that that happens. Uh, it seems to me that there are a lot of, um, there might be someone who's very good at the business end, but the stuff that they're making is not so interested, but it's everywhere because they are really good at getting it out there. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best work or that, you know, people are connecting with it so much. It's somehow it's, it's getting out. 
I don't know. Do you have an idea about this phenomenon? Have you seen this in the like in the world of installation art? Is that a thing? It's hard for me to sometimes see the boundaries. Um, you know, for instance, when I was uh, playing music, I was also a printer. I worked at an offset print shop. And so we always made really great programs and flyers and stuff like that. And I remember I gave a, a program of one of the performances that we were doing. And this guy's like, oh, dude, you're really into like the business aspect. That's kind of weird. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, I I printed that. I designed it. I printed it. I don't know what's I don't know how you can get any more punk rock than that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, uh, deal with it. <laughs> um, I just sort of feel like you know you make this stuff. Why would you? Why wouldn't you want to do more with it? Um, that's always been my attitude, and so I think that kind of translates into the business stuff. I, I mean, there's an art to business. I, there's a certain way I want to present myself. I want people to like what I do, but I. I, I want to present it in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of important to me. So the easiest thing to do is be my own business manager. Right. Right. Um, I think in this day and age, you know, you can do a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of things and I think, I don't think I'd be able to do this many things maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It makes uh, sense. So I'm taking advantage of it. I want to I want to uh, ask you something about what you said. You said I, I don't really know about uh, what other people are doing. Um, do you pay attention to uh, other artists and 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 what's going on? And and if you do, who inspires you? From the art world, I would say James Terrell is like a huge hero of mine. Oh yeah. Um, I think what he does with light and space is absolutely amazing. I also like Andy Goldsworthy because oh, yeah. um, kind of almost like from a business sense, like he's he makes these things and then basically takes pictures of them or films them and that's the work that's amazing to me so i i like those two guys i I love richard sarah i just think that's a different kind of there's something different about there's something really um i don't know there's something really macho about richard sarah that i totally dig but at the same time i just don't i think i'm going to going down a different path uh I do enjoy his work though. That's really all I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I guess to answer your question, I I don't know that I really pay attention. I mean, people send me links all the time of stuff and some of it I like and some of it I don't. I do enjoy looking at things, but at the same time, sometimes I think that keeps me from making my own work. Being too distracted by what other people are doing. Not even distracted, just more like just the amount of time it takes me to look at someone's work. You know, that's like an hour I could have spent on my own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like you get to this point where, like, you start to buy records and you're like, hmm, am I actually going to be able to listen to all of these records yeah. with the amount of time I have left? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, although I do feel, at least in my own uh, work, that I've gone through phases of, uh, and, you know, this whole podcast, this whole phase uh talking to all these artists and things is a phase of an extraordinary time of taking in you know um you have to mm-hmm. i think as an artist at some point there's there's reflection you know on your own work but also just to take in you know to breathe in uh the world around you and what other people are doing or what things have been done in the past you know historically the sort of taking in um is sort of like hibernation a little bit in the winter you know you're 
you know, we need these sort of cycles in our life. And so, you know, I think it's it's healthy to every now and then, at least for me, I'm speaking only for me, to sort of have these periods where I'm taking in a lot of work, be that music or visual art or films or whatever it is, uh, poetry. And then, you know, and then that manifests in some way, in some different way in my work where had I not had that intake, I, I may not have expressed in the same way. You know, I guess I would totally agree with that statement. Um, I just think that those little moments for me happen outside of art. Um, like I, I'm, I'm much more interested in like architecture or facts about science than I am about what somebody's doing with their art. Totally, and and I I think I I also uh, agree with that. Or a, a a walk at night in the in the rain, or you know. <clears throat> Uh, or some very beautiful uh, place in nature that you you know that you can be inspired by. I think all of those things, not just a painting or a, a film or something like that. I know that's kind of what I led with, but I, yeah, I totally agree with you. Also, that there are just paying attention, being present. I think that's mm. something you also say in the film. It's something that I've learned from Zen and and meditation is just to be in the moment, to be open to what's happening where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping the uh, cup empty, so to speak. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, we're um, moving on uh, to the end of our time here. So I always like to close the podcast with a very simple question. Uh, how does one live and sustain a creative life? I think the easiest way to answer that is just, um, for me, is always just keeping my eye on the prize, which is being able to do more work. I don't have a lot of uh, room in my life for extra things. So. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. One of the things you said in that email, which I thought was so poetic, <clears throat> is one door closes, another one opens. <laughs> and, and that's kind of in line with what you're saying. Keep keep the eyes on the prize and watch for those, you know, watch for the opportunities. And one thing closes, another one comes along and just keep moving forward, this kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like um, I watched this, this that television show Breaking Bad. I thought it was great but I don't need to watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Great. Craig, well, thank you so much for being on the show. A lot to uh, dig into here and digest, and I'll make sure and put plenty of links on in the show notes. Uh, anything else in closing? Uh, thanks a lot, man. This has been great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Craig. And with that, we conclude this episode of Standing in the Stream, Conversations with Creatives. Again, I'm your host, John Lane. You can follow me on Twitter, at ThatJohnLane. You can find the show links and show notes on my website, john-lane.com, and follow the show on Facebook. Simply search for Standing in the Stream. Thanks to Danny Clay for our theme music. You can find him online at dclaymusic.com. I'll be back next time for more conversations with creatives. Thanks for listening.